Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us here on Lifestyle Improvement today for part two of our interview with Dr. Melanie Greenberg. Dr. Greenberg was born in South Africa and experienced living without freedom of speech during the last years of the apartheid era. This made her an advocate to help empower people with the capacity for self-expression. Dr. Greenberg graduated with a doctorate in clinical psychology from Stony Brook University and a postdoctoral research fellowship in health psychology from City University of New York. She worked for more than a decade as a professor in the clinical health psychological doctoral program at Alliant University in San Diego, California. She has published more than 50 research articles in journals like the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology and has been a prominent speaker in many conferences. She has written chapters in books like Positive Psychology, Handbook of Health Psychology, and The Writing Cure. She currently writes for Psychology Today and has a blog titled Mindful Self-Express. She's also been named the most prominent psychologist to be followed on Twitter. This was done by the British Psychological Society with almost 50,000 Twitter followers. Her first book is titled The Stress-Proof Brain. This book offers comprehensive tools based on mindfulness, neuroscience, and positive psychology to help readers put a stop to unhealthy responses to stress and to empower the reader with strategies to master their emotional responses and create a more stress-tolerant brain. And now, here is our guest, Dr. Melanie Greenberg, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. Sometimes there can be a questioning, you know, like, why? Why did my parent have to get Alzheimer's? You know, they're a good person, I'm a good person. Why did this have to happen? Um, so that, you know, that can be a source of stress in itself because there isn't always a, a good answer, you know, like diseases happen and it doesn't, nothing's often to do with how good you are or not good you are. Um, there's also sometimes people feel the shock, obviously, of adjusting, you know, to, if somebody gets a diagnosis of some serious illness, adjusting to a new reality, or if the illness is deteriorating, there's some illnesses, you know, people get worse over time. That's different than how we like to think of things. We like to think of things as getting better over time, as the future being better than the past. So that that contrast is really painful and really stressful and sometimes can make people feel hopeless. So, you know, that would be a, a time for maybe finding a spiritual perspective or finding like a broader way of looking at it or just, you know, trying to maybe contain it and have try to find other things in your life that, that you can move forward in that way. So that's some of the stress and some of the emotions of caregiving. Also guilt. A lot of people, even though, you know, it's not necessary many times to feel guilt, people always feel like they're not doing enough or they're not caring enough. Sometimes people feel numb, you know, just from the repeated kind of exposure or the shock of it, they feel guilty for feeling numb. Um, or they maybe they don't like to go and visit their parents so much if they have Alzheimer's. It's you know it's difficult for them. They don't know what to say, but then they feel guilty that they don't like it. Um, and there's a lot of like people can be torn. Often people maybe have young kids of their own and a family. 
then they have an elderly parent or they have, you know, demanding job. And so they can never, you know, there's guilt being torn between all these different roles and maybe never feeling like you're doing anything right. So those are some of the, the emotions. That's very well said. And in a real mixture, a real mixture of emotions, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you go from fear to anxiety to guilt. And so there really is a real mixture of emotions according to the stages where where the caregiver is. And I think that is really interesting that there is some difference between, like you said, the children that are taking care of their parents. That mm-hmm. has to some degree it is got a is temporary. But for parents mm-hmm. that are taking care of children that have disabilities and needs, mm-hmm. it's more of a permanent long-term mm-hmm. situation. So mm-hmm. it has different stresses to it, I mm-hmm. think. Would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, sometimes, you know, people can live a long time, um, but it is temporary, but the temporary could be five years or ten, like, or even more than that. So it doesn't always feel temporary. But for some other people, maybe it's a year or two. But I think with the child, yeah, it is definitely more permanent. And you also have to worry about what happens to that child when you die, you know, when you're not there anymore to protect them. And that's something you're less likely. I mean, you might worry about that with an elderly person, but maybe not to the same degree. Um, And also, how do you, you know, if there's no end, it's like you have to take care of yourself somehow. Otherwise, there's not going to be much of you left to take care of them. And so how, how do you stop the stress from being feeling like 24 hours a day chronic and that may be that you know that that you're with them and you know not really ever doing anything for yourself or it may be that your mind won't let go of it 24 hours a day that's a good point (laughs) yeah yeah so you keep the stress with you even maybe when you do you're not physically with them and that takes really trying to shift your mind and practices like mindfulness self-compassion as well as, you know, just kind of exercising, getting into nature, connecting with people who care about you, having, you know, things, things you that are you interested in that you enjoy. You need that. It's not that it's, it's not even a luxury. It's just, it's a necessity. Otherwise there's just going to be too much stress to endure over the long term. And also finding meaning in the role, if you can, you know, like feeling your love for the child. Once you've maybe gone through that mourning process and adjusted, it can, you know, it can be meaningful if you shift your standards and, you know, trying to celebrate the small victories or the good moments, things like that can be helpful as well. Absolutely. Now we're going to go back to more specifically mindfulness and self-compassion, because I think those are very important points. I was curious, however, we're talking about caregivers that are through or in the middle of the caregiving and the stress is connected to that. But I am curious if you find those caregivers that are now past the caregiving and maybe they have mm-hmm. a long term or for a very long time as mm-hmm. as with their parents and they have to now redefine their life and redefine mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. That has stresses of his own, correct? Correct. That's very like mixed bag, you know, but it's so definitely, there's there's a there's a shift. It's a it's a transition that's stressful. Um, I mean, it can be just some of it is just maybe dealing with the parents' estate and things, and you know, dealing with any death. 
But then, it's, you know, yeah, it's like, how do you define yourself if you defined yourself around that other person and they were, or people, and they're such a big part of your life that maybe you didn't develop, you know, like you let go of some of your friendships or you didn't, you know, look, go out and look for a relationship or something like that. Um, so there can be a feeling of, of a real aloneness, you know, it's like from one extreme to the other. It's like you need it so much. It's like, oh, I just need a break. But to like, now what do I do? You know, it feels empty and nobody needs me and I want somebody to need me and I miss them, even though it was very difficult. So that, that to me, that's what the transition feels like that I've seen. That's a huge crossroad as well. I think underestimated as far as the difficulty that it entails to reenter life, as you may, to reenter mm-hmm. the normalcy of everyday life without having to hurry home because you have Mm -hmm. to take care of somebody without having to worry about, you know, medical medicines, when the medicines have to be given, when the appointments have to be scheduled. With having the freedom, you said, like you said, you mentioned guilt, to be able to plan vacations Mm -hmm. or go out without having to worry about who's going to take care of Johnny or that type of thing, correct? Yeah. I mean, I think it's you have to put some more energy into sort of building a life, enriching and expanding your life. Because for many people, the caregiving was taking up so much time and effort that they let go of a lot of other things. So their life kind of got, in a certain way, small, more circumspect or smaller, um, more constrained. So it's like, how do you go out and expand your life? It's a challenge and it doesn't, it doesn't always come easily and it doesn't always come quickly. It's like, now you have to look for a new friendship or you have to look for an activity you can do with the friend or maybe people start dating. Um, or maybe, you know, it's like you go, you start an exercise routine, but it's all takes a lot of effort and people are, are for years not used to looking after themselves. So it, it, it can be a, a difficult shift in some ways. Absolutely. The other role, they have to let, almost shed a role and then begin to build another role. Oh. That was said so nicely. And so, like I said, I don't, I'm not sure that when we help caregivers in general, we have a lot of books about caregiving. Your book mm-hmm. dealt with a lot of those pieces, including this, which I found you gave a lot of beginning and end solutions and strategies. And that's what I really liked about your mm-hmm. book. So thank you for doing thank that. You. Mm-hmm. As well, now we can we can talk more about the emotions that we were talking about, specifically about what to do, because I know that when we deal, you're talking a lot about emotions like fear and anxiety and depression, which is definitely a piece of this. Do you find that being in the present moment, because of the mindfulness, of course, Mm -hmm. is a huge piece in helping people deal with this? This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. 
Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Caregiver Survival 101 because care starts with you. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Now we can we can talk more about the emotions that we were talking about, specifically about what to do, because I know that when we deal, you're talking a lot about emotions like fear and anxiety and depression, which is definitely a piece of this. Do you find that being in the present moment because of the mindfulness, of course, Mm-hmm. It's a huge piece in helping people deal with this. And this is a good moment to explain what it means to be mindful, because a lot of people hear it and they connect it with meditation. But it's not just that. Mm-hmm. Mindful is being present and aware. So why don't you explain to our listeners what you mean with that? Being mindful is, in my opinion, it's a way of living. It's a state of mind. It's something that you develop kind of through experience and and that kind of, you know, can maybe begin in a small way and then get bigger and bigger in your life. And meditation is a piece of it. It's a way to learn that attitude, but it's not the whole story. And you can be mindful even if you don't formally do breath meditation. You can go on nature walks and, you know, just kind of feel present with the, with the, with the nature and, and that's mindfulness. You can you, you can listen to somebody with love and attentiveness and and openness and that's mindfulness. So there's many ways to be mindful. Basically, what it means is um, taking yourself to the present moment and kind of living the present moment fully, as opposed to what our brains automatically do is they tend to be an automatic pilot a lot. So it's like you're in the shower and but your brain's already at work. So our brains are wired to predict the future and to be planning for the future. And, you know, that's a helpful capacity, but it, it, 
it's something that if you do, your brain doesn't get any rest and, and um, healing if, you, if that's all you do. So mindfulness would be deliberately bringing your brain back to, to the present moment and in an open way, in a kind way. And that might be, for example, in the shower, you might feel the warm water on you. You might smell the soap. You might feel your feet on the ground. You might feel the feeling in your body that that creates. All of that, that would be mindfulness. Or even when you're washing dishes or when you come home from work, when you transition to walking to your house, walk slowly, feel your feet on the ground. You know, take So breathe in those moments as opposed to always rushing to the next moment. And it's not only about doing, but this state of mind that is being, that's just as important as doing, just being in the present, not feeling like you have to do something and you have to rush off here and there, not trying to solve problems in that moment, but just kind of, you know, allowing yourself to be with, with that moment, whatever it is. The other aspects of mindfulness, I think um, it can be tuning into your experience. So there's awareness What's going on with me? Like, what am I feeling in my body? What, what, what emotion word might I give that feeling in my chest? What need is associated with that would be some examples. Um, there's also a kind of allowing. Because many times we, sh we, shut us, we shut down against difficult feelings. It's like we don't want to let ourselves feel. Or we're scared of, of, we're scared of them. Or we've learned messages in our culture or in our families that it's not okay, you know, to feel really sad. Sadness is a big one with that, I think. Um, so being mindful means allowing, allowing the sadness to come in, but also differentiating between the actual feeling of sadness and, and your whole maybe old story, negative story or negative thinking or judgment that you have associated with it. So can you just feel sad and be kind to yourself when you're sad? When you're sad, that's self-compassion, um, as opposed to being sad and then getting hooked into a whole story like, "Well, I'm a loser and my life's just terrible and it's always going to be terrible." So it's like, but can you separate the sadness from that? And that meditation practice can help you because you can learn to identify when your mind goes off into a judging thought. And then to bring it back to the anchor, for example, into your breath. Allowing, so this kind of a, I guess it's like discovering, allowing, accepting. And then there's a kind of connecting with yourself and others in an empathic way. That was said very nicely. I, I have to add one example that my daughter, who's a photographer, gave to oh. me one time. She said, Mother, take a picture of the moment. And I tell you, it has been really mm. useful to me when something yeah. you know, special is happening. She just looks at me and, you know, she just pretends she's taking a picture. Mm -hmm. It's so cute because Aww. that's what she's doing. She's being present and she's taking a picture and remembering the mm -hmm. moment. She's being mindful. She's being totally mm -hmm. in that moment. So I always I always remember that example of take a picture of the moment with your mind that my daughter it's gave a, me. And it's just it's a lovely metaphor. It is a beautiful yeah. metaphor. And I give her complete credit for it. And I use it in now in, in my own practice and I use it as well in my own life. And I think it's mm -hmm. often just uh, taking a picture of the moment and and it really works because you stop. 
You know, if, if photographers mm-hmm. have to stop, they have to check the angle, they have to make sure the light is correct and all those things, the exercises that they do in order to make sure it's just the right precision and it's going to come out just right. That all takes being present right there, mm-hmm. focusing. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that in your mind, that works as well. So it is it, it is an absolutely wonderful metaphor. Um, another thought around that, which is that um, it's kind of, it's making a positive moment bigger. And we need to do that because our brains have a negative bias. They have a built-in negative bias because our brains are, are built to help us survive. It's kind of a survival machine. And you talked about the tiger. You know, originally our ancestors, that's what they did face is tigers and marauding tribes. And so our brain is it's really geared towards looking for that tiger in the bush, looking for the threat. And we don't really notice the beautiful flower in front of us. Because if we looked at the flower and we missed the tiger, we wouldn't survive. But you know, there's not so many tigers around now. Um, and so we, we need to retrain our brains to actually focus on the positive. And, and a technique can be to make those, ha- those positive moments bigger. And I think the photo technique is a good example of that. Another example is what um, Rick Hansen talks about as another author of Buddha's Brain. He talks about just um, kind of absorbing the moment, like letting it, imagining that, that moment sinking in and flowing through your body like warm honey. So like enlarge it and then absorb it. And so that's that's another way of doing the same thing. That's that's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Now, we now have a picture of mindfulness. The other piece that I wanted to talk about was self-compassion. In your book, and I think that that is so important because as caregivers, letting go is so powerful, so mm-hmm. very powerful, but so difficult. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> for caregivers to do. We have a tendency to have such huge expectations of ourselves and to feel that we have responsibilities for even things that we have no control of. Mm-hmm. So how, how does self-compassion take us to a place of acceptance and letting go? Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyle.com improvement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101 that again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation lifestyle improvement occupational therapy we're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed 
as a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877 877- 957-7387 extension 101 Caregiver Survival 101 because care starts with you Thank you so much for joining us here on Lifestyle Improvement today for part 2 of our interview with Dr. Melanie Greenberg Dr. Greenberg was born in South Africa and experienced living without freedom of speech during the last years of the apartheid era. This made her an advocate to help empower people with the capacity for self-expression. Dr. Greenberg graduated with a doctorate in clinical psychology from Stony Brook University and a postdoctoral research fellowship in health psychology from City University of New York. She worked for more than a decade as a professor in the Clinical Health Psychological Doctoral Program at Alliant University in San Diego, California. She has published more than 50 research articles in journals like the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology and has been a prominent speaker in many conferences. She has written chapters in books like Positive Psychology, Handbook of Health Psychology, and The Writing Cure. She currently writes for Psychology Today and has a blog titled Mindful Self-Express. She's also been named the most prominent psychologist to be followed on Twitter. This was done by the British Psychological Society with almost 50,000 Twitter followers. Her first book is titled The Stress-Proof Brain. This book offers comprehensive tools based on mindfulness, neuroscience, and positive psychology to help readers put a stop to unhealthy responses to stress and to empower the reader with strategies to master their emotional responses and create a more stress-tolerant brain. Please join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again next week for part three of our interview with Dr. Melanie Greenberg.